reading from Revelation chapter 3, um, verses 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept your word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, if you're wondering where everybody else is, they're at Quakers Road having breakfast. You missed it, guys. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a great fan of Charles Dickens. It's all a bit long and heavy for me, but I do know one thing, and that is that he wrote... The Tale of Two Cities. And the letter to the Church of Philadelphia this morning is the Tale of Two Doors. Two open doors. I was at a meeting in Kensington in London a number of years ago, and it was in an old off it was in an office in an old mews where the stables used to be. And they converted it, and where the stable doors had been, there was now a beautiful 20-foot plate glass window with a glass door beside it and we were six of us sitting around a conference table and as happens somebody's mobile phone goes off two things always happen at that moment one is you can never find your phone and the other is you realize what a ridiculous ringtone you've got both were true This guy rummaged furiously to find his phone. When he got it, he leapt up from the table and rushed outside to answer it. In his agitation, he completely missed the open door. Instead, he crashed straight through the plate glass window, utterly smashing it. Amazingly, two other things. One is, he emerged totally unscathed. And the other is, he continued his phone call. (laughs) How can you miss a totally open door? Well, that's the question we'll be considering this morning from this passage. The city of Philadelphia in Turkey was one of the youngest of the seven that Jesus addresses in this part of Revelation. It was named as the city of brotherly love. And there are two things you need to know about Philadelphia to help you understand this passage. The first is, it was a Greek outpost. It was a frontier town. It was a doorway built to facilitate the spread of Greek culture and language into eastern Turkey. It was a doorway. 
And the second was that in AD 17, it had been totally destroyed by an earthquake. They lived on an earthquake zone, and the city had been flattened. So when Jesus talks about doorways and about immovable pillars, he's talking their language. Now, Philadelphia is one of only two churches that Jesus addresses here about which he makes no complaint. There's nothing that they have been doing wrong which displeases him. And so, as is common with the other letters, Jesus introduces himself to them. And he says this, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. So who is Jesus? He's holy and true. And what does he do? He holds the keys of David. Now that all seems a bit obscure, doesn't it? Not much of an introduction. Until you go to Isaiah chapter 22. And in the time of King Hezekiah, there was a guy in charge of the palace who totally screwed up his job. And he lined his own pockets. And God says, I'm going to replace you with a godly man called Eliakim. And this is what God says about him. I will place on his shoulders the key of the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So that's exactly what Jesus here says about himself. He is saying, I am the one that controls the history of my people. What I decide will happen, happens. When I open a door, it opens. And when I close it, it closes. I decide what's going to happen, and that's it. So this is what I've done for you. I have placed before you an open door. An open door that no one's going to shut. And even though you've got little strength, because I've decided it, and because it's my power, that door stays open. And in saying that, Jesus gives us an insight into, the, into this little church. He says they've got little strength. They're weak. That may, may mean that they're few in number. But we certainly know they were suffering under the persecution of the Jews. Jesus makes that clear in this passage. And maybe we get an impression of a group, a little group, who are just about hanging on, under pressure, maybe even cowering in the corner a bit. I wonder if that might describe you at some time. Finding it difficult to stand on your own two feet spiritually. Are there times when you'd sort of rather run away? You'd rather run away because the pressures are too much? Well, what God says is he sees and he hears. And this is his response. He says, take heart. I've opened a door for you that no one can shut. Now, that's some encouragement, but what does it mean? What is it that Jesus is talking about? What is it that this is this door that he's opened? Well, we're going to look at two doors that Jesus refers to here. The first is the door of opportunity, and the second is the door of eternity. Now, Paul would have influenced the church of Philadelphia greatly, as he did all those churches in that area. And Paul frequently talks about the door of opportunity. At one point, he tried to go into the province of Asia to preach the gospel, but he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The door was closed. 
Another time, he wanted to go into Bithynia, but he was not allowed to by the Lord. A door was closed. But then in Troas, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, come over to Europe. A door has been opened. And of Ephesus, he says, a great door of effective ministry has been opened to me there. An open door was standing there before the church in Philadelphia. That's what God does. He opens and he closes opportunities for us. For the Christian, life is not random. Life is not chance. Life is being led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God, we have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And we have to fundamentally realize the difference between our own personal preferences and the leading of God. Both Paul and John talk about that as being a gift, the gift of discernment, the gift of testing out to see whether something is of God. And we really need to be able to do that, to know whether it is God who is leading us. Well, how does that happen in reality? I would suggest that Sometimes we experience three steps. The first step is that God plants a seed, a seed in our hearts. And then he opens that door of opportunity. And then he gives us a sign of some kind, confirming, confirming that that is his will. Perhaps something I've been involved in this week might provide a little bit of an illustration of this. I'm a trustee of the Willow Tree Centre at Yate, which is a Christian charity focused on providing counselling and support for those who have lost a baby, either before birth or after birth. And there are a number of folks that you know who are also involved with that, Jean Plummer, Shelley, Belinda. But we've got two problems, demand and location. We've got far more people wanting to use our services than we can supply counsellors for. And being in Yate, we're not very accessible for the majority of people who come to us from Bristol. So we decided that we needed to set up a satellite centre in the middle of Bristol somewhere. And I felt that God had placed somebody specific on my heart to do that. Somebody I know whose name is Mary. But she didn't have the right skills for this. And she wasn't available anyway. She was working. But God had planted a seed. Well, to cut a long story short, Mary started working for us three weeks ago. But because of her skills as a senior member of the ambulance emergency telephone service, she is able to help us develop a whole new telephone counselling system, which will go towards solving this problem. God planted the seed. God opened the door. God provided the opportunity and confirmed it confirm the way we should go. We're not going where we thought we would go, but God has directed, God has opened a door. Has God planted a seed in your heart, a door that he wants you to go through, an opportunity that he is highlighting to you, that he's laying on your heart? It's not there by accident. It's God opening that door for you and inviting you to go through. What he says is, take that opportunity. Test and see what I'm asking you to do. It may well not end up as you anticipate, 
But it's the step of faith that he's calling you to take. And remember, he's the one who holds the key. Don't miss that open door in front of you. I think it's true that the older we get, the more we look back. It's true of me, I don't know about you. Maybe we feel it's that, that there's more behind us than there is in front of us. That was actually the reason that man walked straight through the plate glass window. He was looking back, not forwards. If you drive, you'll know that you glance in your rearview mirror. It's the right thing to do. But you're not fixated by it. You keep your eyes forward on the road where you're going. Look forward to the opportunities that God has for you rather than looking back at the things in your past. What opportunity does God sow a seed in your heart to do? Be sensitive to his leading. Be open to his call. Be courageous in your response. The door of opportunity. But in this passage, Jesus introduces to a second door, the door of eternity. Listen to verse 11 and 12. I am coming soon, he says. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on them my new name. The second open door is the door of opportunity. We all know that there is a door through which we must pass before the Lord returns, and that is the door of death. The second part of Revelation graphically describes the two routes through which death leads and from which death leads. For those without Christ, it leads to judgment. It leads to banishment from his presence. It leads to an eternity in the punishment of hell. That's why Jesus freely gave his life for you on Calvary, to rescue you from judgment, banishment, punishment. He took that for you, that the door of eternity in the presence of God might be open to you. And here's the promise, the promise given to people who lived in an earthquake zone when everything had collapsed, the promise is, you will be permanent pillars in my temple. You will never be shaken. You'll never be removed. You'll never come down. Now think about what the pillars are. The pillars aren't an adornment. They are the very fabric of the temple. We are going to be the very fabric of heaven itself. As if we're holding it up. We are going to be in an open door to eternity. But there's more. We will bear the name of God. And we will bear the name of the city of God. And we will bear the new name of Jesus. Do you notice that? The new name of Jesus. Not his current name. Not the one by which we're known today. We're known as Christians. Christ's ones. The ones belonging to the anointed one. But Jesus will have a new name. No longer the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of sin. He'll have a new name. A name which has not yet been given, but a name which will represent his next role in the eternal future. Once he was a sacrifice for sin, 
but then he will just be the radiant eternal son, the one who will lead us into the next chapter of our eternal history, of our eternal home. And now here's the thing. Without Jesus the Saviour, there is no open door. There's no open door to opportunity for us, and there's no open door to eternity. Without Jesus, heaven is closed, and hope is gone. In fact, when we come to the next passage in Laodicea, we will see the image of Jesus knocking on the door. I'm sure you know that great painting by Holman Hunt, Jesus, the light of the world, standing there knocking at the door. And Jesus is saying, let me in that I may let you in. Let me into your life that I may let you into my eternal kingdom. Jesus' door is open. Anyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may enter. Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And that's the question he asks us this morning. Is your soul secure in Jesus? Today, that door of eternity stands open for you. And God's invitation to us is walk through it. Don't hesitate. Don't look back. But enter all into all that God has prepared for you, for now and for eternity. What God has prepared for all those who love him. May he give us the eyes to see it and the courage to enter in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that open door. We thank you for the one who holds the keys, Jesus, that when he opens a door, no one and nothing can shut it. And we thank you that that door is open for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for those seeds of opportunity that you place in our hearts, seeds of ministry to do for you. Lord, may we seize those opportunities. May we walk through those open doors. Give us the courage to say yes. And we thank you for that door to eternity, that door which Christ opened for us at Calvary. Lord, we thank you that you have prepared for us a heavenly home, an eternal dwelling, a place where we will be and a place where we will bear the new name of our Saviour. Lord, we pray that that open door will be a door into your presence, a door through which we will pass when we go through that veil of death and adore into the glorious future that you have for us. Lord, we praise you for all that Jesus has done. May we serve him as he calls, as we pray this in his name. Amen.